It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast with a host hosting with Cal Ripken this week. Oh, RDT. Normally, mm-hmm. that would be the most exciting Orioles news of the week. We have a lot more to get to, but can you can you just explain that to us? Just hosting an intimate evening with Cal. That's what that's what it's called at Jimmy Seafood. We're cracking crabs with Cal. Um, hopefully, we're watching the Orioles win their 10th straight. Um, super, super like limited event that Johnny had asked me to host um, a couple of weeks ago. And it sold out, like, I think on the same day. It sold out very quick. I didn't think I had that much pull, but, you know, apparently the people, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm getting DMs. People are flying from Maine forward. People are flying all over um, as the Orioles just got a huge double play. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Again, I've never met him, interacted with him um like personally but this is I, i'm very excited like i'm i'm legitimately nervous this is almost like a wedding night nerves all or you know the night before the wedding nerves all over again my buddy chris jones said this is gonna be the first time you ever see a host get escorted out by security <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully one step closer to having um the man himself on the show i mean a dream guest for this show having mr ripkin come on I mean, that would be a that. I mean, that's a legitimate white whale along with a couple others. But yeah, that would be cool. I'll, I'll lay the groundwork. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it should be an awesome event. And again, we're 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 going to be, I think, enjoying some adult beverages, watching the Orioles game and yeah, eating some crabs. So it, sh- it should be fun. I'll report back from it, obviously. Uh, yeah, we will get a full report from you. But there is much Orioles news to discuss. Truly one of the great weeks of Orioles baseball since 2016 2017 um an eight game winning streak currently going for nine as we record here on tuesday night up three to two against the cubs and and the word magical gets thrown around a lot in sports this felt a little magical this week i don't know where it goes from here i think we're about to have that discussion on a variety of levels you know can this team continue these winning ways do they make trades um to sort of stay with the the rebuild that's going on but RDT, you and I, you know, you are among really, I would say the few, and I don't feel bad saying I'm not one of these people. I think Banks would agree. He's not one of these people that has just stuck with these games week, you know, day in and day out, no matter how bad they are. This had to have felt good for you this last week. Um, and a lot of people came on at the end, you know, last four days, you know, I've gotten more into the team, but you're with this thing every single day. Uh, what a week. Yeah, it, it's been a ton of fun. Um, again, it, it coincided perfectly with I had like a week and a half off of work going to w- rehearsal dinner, wedding straight to the beach. So like, why, you know, the Thursday and Friday when they lose those games in extra innings, my first thought was like, well, I'm at the beach. Is that, like, I'm at the wedding. I'm at my buddy's wedding. Like, this doesn't count. I don't care. I didn't see the game. And then, I mean, they just took off. And, you know, again, it's just been they're winning in every which way. They're, they're bludgeoning Mike Trout to death. The guy doesn't, you know. He's dapping up the Oriole bird. It looks again, like I said, it's the new Earl Thomas. Come get me to the Cowboys locker room. Like he's practically begging to come to Baltimore. Um, the three walk-offs in five nights was unbelievable. I mean, that was again, you're just not going to find much another a, a more exciting brand of baseball. Like the way they beat the Texas Rangers that night where Odor kind of just lollygag making that throw, and then Seeger hits the two-run home run. Like you're again, they, they became the first team in MLB history to win a game where they gave up a go-ahead or tying home run in the 7th, 8th, and ninth, Like, you, the Orioles just don't win those games. And it, it got to that point where you never thought they were going to lose, which is wild. I mean, 
again, we saw not, we saw 2014 and what a wagon that team was. And there was times where you're like, this team may never lose again. And again, this current streak that they're on, they're just, they're playing really good baseball. Um, again, they're just beating anyone who's in front of them. And, and yeah, I mean, they're just, they're, they're it's awesome to watch. John means is up in the booth right now, but you know, or he was earlier for the game. He said, I've never seen a locker room, a clubhouse, this loose, this fun. He was like, it's, it's unbelievably fun in there. The vibes are immaculate. People are just loving playing baseball. And like, like Paul will talk about Trey had a quote where he said, we go into every game expecting to win. And, and again, when was the last time that the, or someone on the Orioles could say that it's been a long, long time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what else you can say. All the credit in the world to Brendan Hyde, the coaching staff. They pieced together a great, you know, 85, 90 game, whatever it is. I mean, this this season so far, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and who knows what the rest of it holds. But um, and again, obviously, all the credit in the world to the players because they're just going out there playing their asses off, and it's becoming legitimately fun too. Like I have people I know who again have been casual fans. We'll, we'll watch a game or two. We'll maybe go to one game a year. They're like. I'm looking at the schedule buying tickets ahead of time to go to these games. It's not like a, oh, yeah, we can go to the game, I guess. They're like, I want to go to the Oriole. I want to go to the game. I want to sit in left field. I want to sit in center field. And, you know, I want to have a beer with my friends at Pickles before the game. So, again, I don't know what the, the rest of the season holds, but it's it's been a ton of fun to watch this last week, you know, week plus. And, you know, I hope they keep it going. The big kicker is going to be that that five-game or that six-game – no, what is that, seven-game road trip – right before the um, the the uh, the trade deadline, which is three against the Yankees. I'm sorry, it's home. Three against the Yankees, hashtag Baltimore week, which we'll be at, and then four against Tampa. So two good teams, two good opponents, and, you know, they may come back down to the earth after that. And, um, you know, if they go two and five, maybe they're trading people off. If they go five and two, maybe they're buyers, which I don't think they're going to be buyers. I think I think Elias is going to stick to the plan, but – um. It's going to be a, it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks. And, you know, again, I just think people just enjoy it. Just have fun. Like I did, I did not like the like minutes after they win their eighth straight game. People like, well, now you have to trade Trey. Now you have to do this. It's like, guys, let's just pump the brakes. Let's enjoy this. Like, again, we don't know when the next time we're going to see something like this win streak. Just let's have some fun with this. Just, just enjoy watching baseball while you can. As they go four to two. Um, on a Jorge Mateo home run here against the Cubs. And as you said, Paul Mancano from Masson coming on the show a little bit later here to talk this run and talk about the draft. Um, Banks, what was your experience with this run the last week? It's just been fun to watch. It's been fun to be a part of. It's um, you're just, we've talked about it week in and week out that there's some signs here that the team is starting to turn around. Trey Mancini's made the comments throughout the year. Like it seemed like every series we're getting blown out at least once in years past and that's changed and now we're starting to see this shift where they're i mean they're winning close games they're they're close games are often won by just willpower and guts and just a belief like that you're buying in and you're trying to win games it's it's so much easier to just kind of lay you know lay down or roll over in games when you just don't have an expectation within a given game or within a given series or within a given season. And it seems like there's a mentality from this team that, you know, they're not just trying to win a given game. They're trying to win series and they've been winning series throughout the year. Really? That's, I mean, this is a win streak where they're sweeping series, but they've been winning series for two, three months now. And 
you got to think that Adley Rutschman is a big part of that, whether it be him physically himself with his energy and all that, or just the mere existence of him getting called up is like kind of just, as we've talked about before, it's, it's that next step. It's saying, Hey, we're going to start, you know, making some progress here and gaining some momentum and actually becoming a legitimate baseball team. And now they're all buying in and we're at a point where they're right there on the fringe of, of wildcard spot. Like that's a very real thing here. And they've, you know, we're looking at the schedule here and they've got the Cubs. They're winning this game and they got another one tomorrow. They could be above 500 by, by the all-star break here easily. So it's just, it's awesome to see. It's exciting. People are fired up. I mean, the crowds at Candy Yards, alas, especially that weekend series. I know the promotions kind of played into that, but that's fine. I mean, a lot if a lot of people come out and put out a good product on the field, they're going to come back. And that's the most exciting part is that the first time in a while, even even non like throughout the opening days too, where there's a good energy, like that that was a different good energy than like an opening day. That was a this is a city that cares about baseball, cares about Orioles baseball. Like it's just one of those, it was one of those weeks that I think we're gonna remember for a long time um, as this train keeps going forward. Yeah, it, it, I, I think you guys summed it up very, very well. It, excitement was obviously the word I, you know, the Trey Mancini walk-off, I, I had driven to the beach that night and I got, you know, to my house in Ocean City just for the ninth inning there. And when he walked it off, I legitimately did a, like, unprompted, like, get off the couch, like, full, like, fist pump. And I really can't remember the last time I did that for any Oriole situation, like, even close, like, that wasn't ironic. That wasn't me just like getting excited because like, ah, the Orioles suck, but like they won a game. So I'll get excited. Like, I was like, Oh my God. Like it was like a full of the fan passion that I think this team has made people lose from being this bad. Um, It was so unbelievable. And as you said, banks, look, yes, promotions put people in the stands, but when you put people in the stands with promotions, you want to perform. And they absolutely did that. I mean, it could not have gone better for the organization in terms of how they all went a name team with two name stars. And thank God I don't really have to get into the Mike Trout situation other than the fact that we just ended the angel season um, and he will not make the playoffs again. That's, you know, you know, so down the pecking order of stories that we need to talk about, despite the fact that a team led by the best player of all time continues to never win any games. Unbelievable that that continues to happen. But we really, we don't, we, there's just no need to talk about it, how well the Orioles are playing the weekly angel segment. Yeah. You know, it's fine. We, uh, can I say this? The angel segments are done. They ended wow. with this show. It's done. The Orioles ended the Angels. They ended the Angels. The Angels are relevant for the 10th straight year until Mike Trout's MVP candidacy comes up in October. That's the next time the Angels will be talked about it after this. So good job to the Angels. But at worst, um, I will not say another word about the Angels until the end of the Major League Baseball season, barring like something crazy happening. But at this point, in terms of their performance on the field, I do not care. You guys can bring it up. I will not say any words. But yeah, it, it was it was it was just tremendous, and I think the subset conversation. Unfortunately, it, it was is super weird. And RDC said it right. It was super weird. Like you have this amazing run, eight games in a row, best stretch in a while. They're playing exciting baseball. That you know, you know, it's a, you know, every night there's a different star. That's the magic of Orioles baseball. I mean, that was literally what was happening. Everybody on the team was like contributing to this, and then on Twitter, you know, our social intern 
is putting things out about, you know, the team, blah, blah, blah. And it's like every response is like, oh, you got to get rid of this guy. And you got to get rid of this guy. And you got to get rid of this guy. And you got to get rid of this guy. And that's the conversation we have to get to here. I would like to inform the listening masses as we talk about sports. I don't mean to like gatekeep sports here at all. It's a little thing called culture when you have a locker room, an organization. This team, and you said it, you guys both said it in different ways. And Paul said it in the interview we get to. There is clearly a like winning mentality going on and everyone is pulling in the same end of the rope, rowing, whatever, all those cliches you want to say. And for me, you have to learn how to win. Like teams have to learn how to read. Brit uh, wrote a great column about this as well, about talking about the Orioles not training Mancini, which you should go read on the athletic. If you have the athletic, like, I'm very interested to see how Mike Elias plays this because I he, he had a quote at one of the stories today. I can't remember if it was Rosenthal's or Brett's, whatever it was, about how you know there are certain factors they're taking into account beyond the vacuum of what their organization looks like. And it feels like there are two factors involved there. One, the culture it seems like they're putting together, and you have to give Brandon Hyde a ton of credit. And everybody's been talking about players. Brandon Hyde could have jumped off this train a long time ago, and he has stayed on it, and he has put together – you know, a team that competes every night and could have been beaten down for a long time. And they've put together a culture. That's hard to do when you're losing. It's easy to do that when you're winning. It's super easy to put that together. But when you're losing it, that's a lot harder. And so for me, I'm very interested to see how he weighs both that part of it, Michael Elias speaking, we're speaking of, and the fact that this fan base has so much scar tissue. And I get it. This is a business. Everyone gets that sports is a business. But you have pulled the fan base back in, at least some of a portion of it, right? You've gotten them back involved. People are excited. Then they're connecting to certain guys. I think they have to – this is, you know, everyone – if you brought on an alternate take, that say, Taylor, take the emotion out of it. You're talking like a fan, blah, blah, blah. I totally get that. That's fine. That's a fine thing to say. I think they have to be careful on both sides of that of protecting what they've built in their locker room, which is what all of their minor league guys are seeing, which is what they, they want all of these guys to learn to win and be brought up in this beyond all the analytics, all those things. There's still something to that baseball each and every day, having that in it, having the culture in there and just bringing sledgehammers back down on their fan base in terms of getting rid of guys. That's why for me, unless you're getting blown away with offers, I would keep a lot of these guys around and, and promote winning as opposed to just promoting rebuilding at this point. Now, look, Michael Elias knows how to do this job way better than me. So, and at this point, pretty much all of the moves he's made are looking like they're turning to gold. You know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Like I said, like, they've got to show me something. They got to show me something. Like this is getting hard to continue to deal with. And they are showing us something. No doubt about it. Like this has been very fun. I am the next three weeks are so fascinating. And I, it's, I don't have sympathy for Michael Elias because this is tough because you know how committed he is, but you know, the guy's a competitor. I mean, you don't work in sports unless you love competition and you want to freaking win and they're winning right now. So to me, I would keep a guy like Trey Mancini around. I love the way Brick phrased it. I think two months of that guy in this locker room with those young players is way more important than the 16th best prospect on the Cardinals. But that's just me. If that's even who you're going to get for two months of a two month rental of Trey Mancini, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that. The all corners of the internet are throwing in opinions here. I just think you can't get so obsessed with rebuild to not value what is what is in front of your eyes right now and what is happening. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, you you said it perfectly. Like again, Trey, I think Trey Trey specifically, he is obviously the big one that everyone talks about with the trade. 
um, because of the expiring contract at the end of the year. Well, I guess a mutual option with the team and him, which it sounds like he was going to decline. Um, it's just, again, it all depends on the packages that these guys bring back. It could be Jorge Lopez. It could be Trey. It could be Santander. It could be Mullins. I think any of those guys are, are open to be moved. Again, and let the package has to be the right thing. Like Paul had said, and like you had said, you're not just going to fracture this locker room to move Trey Mancini for a 23-year-old who's been stuck in AAA for the last or AA for the last four years. Something like that's what is that going to do? It's not, it's not going to do anything. And again, you're going to fracture the fan base who again are just now, literally this week, this last eight days, coming back and being like. Hey, this is fun. This is a lot of fun again. You know, again, people seeking out, not just flipping and being like, oh, that's right. The Oriole game is on people going and finding the Oriole game to watch it. Oh, they're in Chicago. You know, like I, I know people out there right now who said there's a ton of Orioles fans out there, which is great. I know it's awesome to hear. Um, it, I think everything just depends on the trade package. Because, again, Michael Elias has done this before. It, it's it's, you know, again, this is the second rebuild that he's done. It worked the first time in Houston. So again, he's done this before. And, and like you said, he's a competitive guy that he knows what he signed up for. And, and it's, there's a lot on his shoulders. And I think if the package is right for anyone that's not named Rutschman, you know, they'll explore it. They'll, they'll look into it, you know? And again, I've seen, I mean, I, I read the athletic articles today too. that talked about Blake Snell, you know, coming over for Santander and a couple other guys, which I think if that's a package, I think you hundred percent do that. I think that would be a great move. Um, again, another a veteran leader, a pitcher who, again, we talked about in the interview with Paul, you're going to need these guys. Um, it's, it's like you said, it, it's been a fun week and a half, two weeks. This next three weeks is going, is also going to be very interesting. Um, and that could, it could force a lot of people away who are just coming back. I hope it doesn't because again, I hope people are enjoying this and, and you know, they realize this is kind of just the appetizer. It's just the tip and, and, you know, we're going to get a lot more of this. So. Yeah, I, the other thing about it is a lot of the comments because I was going through all of our social media was like, this is all about winning the World Series. Everything move you make is about winning the World Series. Where, well, actually winning baseball games right now, I know this sounds, people are going to think I'm crazy and I'm willing to be called crazy. Like, get, bringing in a winning culture and having a winning mentality is going to help you win when you're in those spots later. And look, are, are some of these guys that are on this team going to get traded? I'm a, I'm a no, like, volition that, that that their guys are going to be dealt like it is going to be interesting i'm now interested to see how he does that as opposed to just like giving guys up for prospects do you go and get you know ma- you know guys that are on rosters that are major league guys that like you said like a blake snell or whatever it is that helps you win a little bit later or that helps you kind of do a little bit of both um that's what i'm very interested to see what they do but you know there's just it's just so fascinating because i'm also would, you know, you don't make any snap decisions based on, based on eight games, right? Like that's not how you run an organization at all. But I think, you know, we've been pretty consistent, at least on the Trey part of it. And Trey is obviously the guy that it brings up the most emotion for everybody. I think that's pretty clear. I don't think anyone is going to like roll over in their grave if Jorge Lopez gets traded at the trade deadline. Yeah, guys had a great year. He's an all-star. It's awesome. Great story, blah, 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 blah. But the Trey Mancini one, as we talked about when, you, you know, with the arbitration and all the different things, it's like, don't screw that guy. Now, if they trade him to a contender, you're not really screwing him. You're giving the ability to win. And then he gets the ability to pick his team next year. But like people are, go- people have gotten so invested in him 
that is going to be a very interesting one to weigh because if you dump him for seemingly nothing just to get something, that is going to piss people off for sure. And that's not how an organization should make decisions. But they, you know, the other part of this is too like the Orioles have put no one in the stands for four years, right? You had the COVID year, but even surrounding the COVID year, which nothing they can do about, no one comes to these games, right? Like they don't. I mean, I think we're, we're fine saying that, you know, that, you know, it's the, between 5,000 and 20,000 on pretty much every single night. You're not really getting big crowds. Like they eventually also have to make some money. Like they've got to like put people in the stands. I know they, you know, there's a variety of ways they're protected TV deals and things they are getting revenue, but like you also like want to reward your organization for putting winning product on the field and, and like getting people in the stands and having the game day experience be good again. And, you know, making sure fans aren't lap, you continue to be lapsed and like stay with you and stay with you and get back into it earlier. You know, like, as you said, RDT, like they went back and they're doing the, the fan pass again for September and October, for, you know, and people are buying that. Like mm-hmm. people are going to go to these games now, Like you have to think about some stuff like that too, that I don't know how they'll weigh that. I'm just throwing at every single option. Maybe they're like, ah, when we're good, it's not going to matter. So we don't care about like train, train, Mancini because that'll have a couple less people come to the ballpark. Fair enough. Like, I just think it's, they have so many different factors to weigh. It's a very, they have a very interesting, such an interesting three weeks, as I said before, like, cause who knows, like, you know, they're knock on wood, a few, you know, six outs away from nine in a row and a 500 record and being essentially like a game out of a wild card spot. Like, do you think about trying to go to the playoffs now? Why would you not? Like, why would you not? Like it's yeah. Like, why would you not? Look, I don't want to repeat any of the things that you guys have already said. I'm on the same page. It's a no brainer to me that they shouldn't trade a guy like at least like Trey Mancini, just because he's been the guy who's been through the thick and thin. And he's also the one holdover. He's seen a little bit of the winning culture that existed here at one point in time he's seen the good days a little bit um it's you can you can make an argument that it's like it's it's not about who deserves what it's about what the best move is but it's exactly what you're saying it's the culture matters like if you're not keeping guys like that what kind of message does that send to everybody else we we've kind of had this conversation a handful of times in in a variety of different ways but it would just really be demoralizing to everybody involved if they traded him specifically. So, and I'm, I'm usually somebody who's very um, easy. Like I easily put things aside and I kind of see things for what they are. And I'm willing, like, for example, Nick Markakis, when his free agency came up a handful of years ago, I was like, Hey, it was great having him. It's not worth us paying him what he's looking for at this point in time. And a lot of people were upset. Um, was it the right move? I don't know, but that's uh, I, if I'm looking at it from perspective of like, there's no way they should trade that guy, then I feel like everybody should be on that page. I agree, nailed it. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be interesting. And then, what do they do? The other side of it is, do they start pushing guys up through the minors to continue to improve this club, you know? We talked with Paul about DL Hall. I think that was the right question to ask RDT. I think he is clearly the next up true difference maker. You know, you have other guys, you know, we've talked about Stowers and different people that, that I think will, you know, contribute, but you now have, you know, DL Hall, number one overall pick, you know, when we had him on before the season, there was a clear itch from him to get to the big leagues this year. And you were, you would think that's going to happen at some point do they try to bring him up and, and make him a, a focal point of a team that maybe has an ability to win? And as you said, RDT, you know, 
they're going to get eventually back into playing all these division games. And it, the AL East is really amazing. I mean, it is just incredible how good the division is. Now that the Orioles are around potentially around 500. If the Orioles were in the central, they'd like be in clear second place. Like it, it, it's, it's amazing how good the AL East is. All of those other teams are like trying to win. The Orioles, I guess, are theoretically not trying to win, but are winning. Um, so they're going to have to get, they're going to get back to playing games against those teams. And we'll see how that, maybe that, you know, takes the wind out of, you know, the magical sails here that we've experienced. But, you know, we, and you talked about it at the top RDT, like there were signs of stuff like this all year and they've now put it together. Um, but I think it also, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the year, like faith in the rebuild. Do we think this, like the ways these pitchers have performed sort of over, you know, pedigree to a certain extent, like, that gives you faith in what they're doing organizationally and what we've heard when Grayson comes on the show and all, all of the things that they're doing, like the performance on the field, not only, you know, makes you feel good about some of the stuff they've created in the clubhouse, but also like the implementation of how they're developing players, both at the minor league and big league level. And a good, a good example of that is they claim some guy today from the, the Marlins. The last name is head. He has like a seven ERA, something like that. And someone was like, why the hell would they pick this guy up? And, and someone just very clearly was like, they must see something in him where like the stuff is there, but something is off and they think, Hey, we can, we can fix this guy. There's the, you know, there's a problem. We can fix it. And I was like, Oh, you know what? That's, that, that's a very good point. Like, you know, cause again, I, I'm just looking at the numbers going, this guy doesn't, he doesn't do anything. You know, he doesn't jump off the map. And then it's like, you know what? They probably see like, Hey, this guy is one tweak away, you know, from, from becoming something. So, yeah, again, I mean, it's a whole organizational thing. It's just been it's it's been awesome to watch. And like you said, earlier in the year, we were like, oh, they're frisky. You know, they've won three out of six or three out of seven. And, you know, they lost a game here or there, and they should, probably shouldn't have. And then it's kind of like, you know, we kind of just saw them graduate from frisky to like, whoa, like this this team is on a roll. And, and very quickly, too. I mean, they picked up steam very quickly. Um, they went straight from that, oh, first winnings a month in five years to – Oh, well, they, they dropped, they lost two in the ninth and their all-star closer just blew back-to-back games. All right, well, maybe they're not that good. And then it's like, nope, they just picked up and, you know, maybe last year they lose their next eight. They've, they've you know, this is just a different year. It's a different team. I, you know, it's just, it's a different club. And, and like we've said a billion times, it's, it's just been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, we'll get to the interview with Paul here. The one thing I think that's interesting about, that pitching part of it is, you know, before this, the whole joke was that guys got better on the mound when they left Baltimore, you know, like you have all those examples like Jake Arrieta and we could go down the list. Um, it would, it would be nice to flip the script on that. And it feels like, and, you know, we had Paul Mancano in here to talk, you know, we talked about obviously some of the stuff we just touched on in terms of the Orioles run um, and went into a lot of stuff about the draft and, and Paul was tremendous in, in sort of breaking down the Orioles organizationally and philosophy wise and, and what they want to do with the draft, you know, them picking guys like that off waivers and, and doing the things they've done with pitching. It's pretty clear the way they want to get pitching is not going at the top of the draft, like the previous regime did with Grayson and DL, which looks like it's going to work out really well, unfortunately, but, um, and go grab, you know, big swings at the top with pitching and instead go and develop those guys. So let's go to our interview with Paul Mancano from Mass and talked, you know, this Orioles run, talked a ton of draft and organization stuff, got his thoughts on whether the Orioles should deal um, certain guys or not. 
um, and really a tremendous conversation um, with Paul uh, about the draft specifically. So let's get to that interview right now. Something magic happens. Back on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood with Masson's Finest, Paul Mancano. Paul, thanks for joining the show, man. Yeah, first thanks. of all, first of all, what do you make of this last week of Orioles baseball? We'll just start right there. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I would say Masson's Finest. That's got to go to anybody but me. Probably Rocky Baco, then <laughs> Steve Molesky, then about 80 people. Um, yeah, this last week has been among the most fun I've had since I started at Masson back in 2016. I mean, this has been an absolute blast. I haven't gotten to see too much extended winning. I got a little bit when I started, but over the last week, I mean, it has been easily the most fun of the last, you know, of, of the Michael Elias era, Brandon Hyde era. It's been an absolute blast just watching this team play on a night in night out basis. It, there seems to be a very easy answer about like when the turnaround kind of happened and, and what all went into it. But is there like one moment in your mind or one thing that you saw during a game or covering a game or, you know, something like that where you went like, holy crap, like this, this may be a different year. You're, you know, like maybe, maybe this is turning, the tides are turning for the good. And like, maybe we are seeing, you know, some of this good and this plan start to come to life. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, it, the elephant in the room is Adley Rutschman. I mean, he is definitely the way that he his kind of energy and attitude has infected in a good way this ball club I think is an easy answer there but I think that road trip where they split they went up to Boston and New York I think and uh, they ended up coming out of that with a 500 road trip and it was like it felt like a small victory because this team let's be honest has not performed well over the last three years in Fenway or in Yankee Stadium they just have not been in competitive games and the fact that they were in so many games through May and June, not just winning games, but the games that they lost were by one or two runs instead of by six or seven runs like we've seen over the past few years. It just felt different. And you, you saw the quote from Trey Mancini a couple of weeks ago where he said, we come to the ballpark expecting to win every day. And that's something that we haven't felt over the last few years. So the players notice it. And yes, I think, like you said, Adley is an easy answer there, but it's more than just Adley at this point. It's clearly a team-wide attitude that they have it's it's funny too because you and trey kind of have that same like career lifespan with the Orioles. like <laughs> trey came up you know at the end of i think it was 2016 right 2016 i know yeah. he, was on, he was on the wild card roster and yeah so you guys have kind of had that you had a little bit of success there and then it got absolutely just ripped away and we saw that window just slammed shut <laughs> right in our faces before yeah. we even realized it and yeah, now it, it seems like it's it's kind of not coming full circle, but again, we're kind of reaping the the rewards of, of this whole this this whole rebuild. You know, yeah, it's, it's nice to see it finally come together. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Trey Mancini has been fun to watch him personally go through the kind of growth that he has over the last several years. This guy's been through everything under the sun. I think of when really the Elias Hyde era began and all the questions every single time in the clubhouse in spring training was what's it going? It's like going from basically, you know, a rookie guy who finished in near the top of the, the American league rookie of the year standings to leader of the club. And he kept saying, you know, life comes at you fast. And it's that's how it was for him at the time. And he embraced it wholeheartedly and he had the production to back it up. So what a fun journey it's been watching him and other guys on this team. I mean, I think of Austin Hayes and, 
some of the guys who Hayes remember debuted back in 2017 is coming all the way up from double a and was really not the same guy that he is now, but he showed flashes of it. Um, you see Anthony Santander, the rule five draft pick. So you're seeing these guys go through the maturation process. It's I think from the outside, probably the national media looks at this Orioles team and says, well, it's Adley Rutschman. It's new guys like Jorge Mateo and, you know, uh, Kyle Bradish or something like that. And they're forgetting that this is, we're also seeing a ton of internal improvements from guys who have been here and they're finally starting to cash in on the potential that we've seen from them. The Trey Mancini one is so interesting because his, his whole, you know, narrative over the last, I guess, couple of weeks has been club leader, but now there's just an entire, you know, chamber of discussion about whether he should be traded, whether he shouldn't be traded. I couldn't be more against him being traded. Um, I think that, and I, I think you summed it up very well, Paul, in the terms of there's like a winning mentality and a culture that's clearly being developed right now. And while you can play sports in a vacuum, like sports are not played in a vacuum. And when a clubhouse is all moving in the right direction, that means something as opposed to getting like B, B minus prospects, whatever it is, you've got a background in terms of sort of following a lot of that minor league type of stuff. Do you feel like a Trey Mancini trade makes sense in terms of continuing to build organizational depth or should they ride some of it out specifically with him? And how do you feel about those other guys? You know, your Jorge Lopez's, your, you know, different guys who they could deal. I think you put it well where it's very difficult to separate the emotional side, the fan side from the on-field production because Trey has been the heart and soul of this team for the last several years. He has been the guy who has played almost every day except for the year he missed with stage three colon cancer. He has been the guy that Brandon Hyde has gone to to be a leader of this team. And it's very different from just looking at stats on a page and saying he's worth X amount in arbitration and he's worth X amount in terms of war. So it's very, it's a very difficult conversation to have. And I think that while on the field, it makes so much sense because you look at Ryan Mountcastle, who's not only locking down first base defensively this year, but we know what he can do offensively as well. And you have so many guys who are coming up through the system with Kyle Stowers, who is going to be a corner outfielder DH type. You already have Anthony Santander, who's a corner outfielder DH type. You're going to have your Heston Kerstads. You're going to have your guys coming up in theory, like Colton Kowser, who are going to fill that corner outfield, which Trey Mancini has played more of this year, and DH. And there's just really not going to be a spot for him going forward. And considering he's one of the older guys in this team at 30 years old, it's very tough to see a spot for him going forward long-term, especially considering his contract situation. So I think the question becomes, do you ride it out with him through these last few months and kind of let him experience that winning and let him contribute to a team that hopefully is around 500 by the end of the season? Or do you, you know, try to cash in on his, what, you know, couple months of Trey Mancini now. And I think that that's a question that certainly Michael Elias is grappling with. However, I will say, it's one of those situations where we've seen teams do this in the past. I think of uh, back in 2006, uh, the Phillies trading Bobby Abreu, a guy who was very productive, very good on the team, uh, but there wasn't a spot for him. And a guy who was, you know, now after retirement is on Hall of Fame ballots, an excellent career for Bobby Abreu, but the team was getting better and they were turning over a younger roster. And it ended up being the right move. So I, I think there are examples throughout baseball, recent baseball history of 
sometimes when a, a guy just doesn't quite fit the roster in terms of position and them having to make a trade to move on from him, it can be very tough to stomach, especially as a fan. But ultimately, you kind of have to just, at, at some point, I believe, trust that, you know, the, the Orioles kind of know what they're doing and have a, a long-term plan for this thing. Real quick, Bobby Abreu feels like the perfect guy that should have been an Oriole when he was like 41 years old. And <laughs> never, like he, yeah. he, he screams, I'm going to be an Oriole with Derek Lee and Sammy. Like David yeah. Segui. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim like, Tomey. Jim Tomey, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. He could have been on, like, he should have been on that 2012 team with Randy Wolf and Joe Saunders and Tomey. Yes. And all that. yes. It yeah. just, it just, that just makes sense. When you said that, that just clicked to me. Um, another guy that, again, has been mentioned, he was, I mean, he was talked about all over the athletic today is uh, Santander. And again, you talked about him. His story has been fantastic, too. They took him in the Rule 5 draft. I think he was out that whole next year with the shoulder surgery. I, I don't think it ever played above like A ball. And has turned into like quietly. I mean, he was what the 2019, uh, you know, Oriole MVP. He was a very good player. Um, he's another guy whose name has been floated out there. And again, you mentioned some of the guys, Kowser, uh, Stowers, those guys, you know, they're, they're going to be the corner outfielders for the future. Is he a guy who are, are you going to be shocked on August 3rd if Santander is still in an Oriole uniform? I wouldn't be shocked either way, to be honest, because I think there have been ample times over the last couple of years where it has uh, been feasible that the Orioles do trade Anthony Santander and it just hasn't come to fruition because of the talent that you talk about coming up through the system. I mean, who knows if the Orioles take with the number one overall pick another outfielder and you're talking about maybe the most loaded farm system in baseball and there's deepest position is outfield because of all the draft equity that they've put into that position over the last few years. And not just that, but the guys who are close to the, the bigs, like a Kyle Stowers, who we've already seen has made his debut. So I think it has made sense in the past and yet Michael Elias has not pulled the trigger on it. And I think because he's waiting for the right amount, I think he knows that Anthony Santander has value and we've seen in the past, he's not going to just deal a guy. I think of last year when you had Tanner Scott and Paul Fry both on the trading block around the trade deadline. And he didn't pull the trigger on either of those guys because he wanted to make sure that he got ample return. It wasn't just I'm trading this guy because he's, you know, we need to open up a roster spot for somebody younger. So I think Santander fits into a similar category where he still is very productive. I mean, this, this lineup is not the same without Anthony Santander right now. And maybe Kyle Stowers can fill that void. Maybe a Colton Cowser in a year or two can be just as good as, or not, if not better than Anthony Santander, but Santander has been very productive in this lineup. He is driving in a ton of runs. He's drawing a lot more walks than he has in previous years. So to just remove him for a, if you were to take 80 cents, 90 cents on the dollar, I don't think Michael Elias wants to do that because he, you don't want to lose a trade that you don't have to, you, you know, just because you want to see guys come up and debut, you have to sit tight and understand that this guy has value. And unless you're offering the right amount, I'm not going to just trade him just to trade him because he is actually valuable to our team right now. So I wouldn't be shocked either way. And I think it's just, is going to come down to does Michael Elias feel like he's getting a fair return for Anthony Santander, who is still a young, very productive player. Where do you see the Orioles going with the number one pick at this point? It's a great question. Uh, I probably flip flop back and forth every other day. Uh, I wake up thinking one thing and I go to bed thinking another, 
I don't think they've made up their mind quite yet. Um, they obviously have not given us any hints one way or the other. Michael Elias has been tight-lipped throughout his entire tenure uh, about not just the number one overall pick, but every pick that he makes. I think it, it really, I think he was, you know, being straightforward when he said that it's down to five, maybe six guys. And I think we all know pretty much who those are. It's the four high school guys with one college player in Brooks Lee. Probably maybe you could say a Cam Collier or a Jacob Barry is your sixth player in that group. But it's it's going to be one of those top guys, whether it's Jackson Holiday, Elijah Green, Drew Jones, or Tamar Johnson are probably those four. And then you add uh, the fifth in Brooks Lee. So it's going to be one of those players. Who it is, I think, is anybody's guess. And Elias has said in 2019, it was really down to three players. And I think we know, obviously, Bobby Witt and Adley were the two guys in that group. Now it seems kind of wide open. And I, I don't think any one of these guys, I'm sure they have a ranking of who they like the most. But right now, I don't know if any one of those guys is in a tier by himself. I think some draft experts would say Drew Jones is. But right now, given how good Tamar Johnson has looked at the plate, given how high of a ceiling Elijah Green has, you know, given the safety of a Brooks Lee, I don't think there's any one guy who has separated himself that much from the pack to the point where the Orioles have made up their mind yet. I think they're taking everything into consideration, and this might come down to the wire in terms of who they decide to go with. I, I was going to say, so this seems like it will be coming down to the phone calls made on draft afternoon, draft night. As we know, it's a Sunday at 7 o'clock, prime time for the first round of a draft. It's another great, great job, MLB. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, and again, I mean, I've gone over the names a bunch of times and it's just like, it, it, again, it kind of comes down to the money thing. And obviously they have the second most bonus allotment in history. I don't know if you know who had the first most, it was the, um, the Astros in 2015 with oh, Michael Elias. So <laughs> go figure that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's an interesting class. And I was reading, um, you know, they were like, if there's, a draft where it would be understandable to go under slot at one. It's probably this one, because like you said, while there are some good players, you know, the drew Jones and that, like there's no one person that is like, you have to take this. This is a, you, you know, a, a can't miss prospect. So yeah, it seems like this is going to come down to the wire and you guys better have all your video packages ready, ready to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll have, I'll have to have all my blogs ready to go. Yeah. You know, by, by seven o'clock on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, there's been Tim Leonard, who's been heading up our draft coverage, has been interviewing just about everybody he possibly can. I mean, in order to make sure that all our bases are covered, because I remember back in 2019, Eric, when you were talking about you went into the day and there were rumors about them not taking Adley or them going with somebody way off the board. And it just felt like Michael, you know, the first draft number one overall pick that Michael Eyes is going to have. He can't screw this up. He has to go with the slam dunk and Adley. And it's just not that way. I know people have their preferences. But you just it's kind of like pick your flavor this year because you, you have an outstanding hitter, but not a great defensive player in Tamar Johnson. You have the proven college guy in Brooks Lee. You have the incredibly high ceiling, great athlete in Elijah Green. You know, it's it's very different in terms of what these five guys, maybe six, bring to the table. So it really is going to come down to preference, I think, at this point. So, you know, I'm sure Elias has his favorites, like I said, but I don't I don't know if he's got uh one guy in a tier by himself and they're just, you know, already waiting to make the call. It's super interesting too. Cause with three, obviously three top five picks, he's gone college bat each time. Yes. So yeah. now does he, does he go 
college bat again to make that player sort of on the same, I guess, winning timeline as these guys sort of above him, a more proven guy you can get to the bigs faster. That that to me is interesting because that just feels like his philosophy is to go college bat in this spot, pay them an under slot value, and then go after, you know, high school guys later in the draft. Um, yeah. But you're right, it's super interesting. Normally, you know, you go through the draft stuff and there becomes sort of an emergence of a number one guy. And I guess Drew Jones has just kind of become the guy that sits on top of the, you know, the, all the draft lists you read. And then you read them and it's like, well, you know, he's the number one guy, but like, who knows? So yeah. he just he's just sort of sitting there by default. Yeah. Um, so that's what's fascinating to me is is there's not really the standout college. I you know Brooks Lee and you know they're not going to pick Kevin Pareda from Georgia Tech. He's a catcher, but like there's those guys that are maybe there. Jace Jung, whatever. The, none of those guys are like in the top. Like those four high school guys have kind of become the consensus top four to a certain extent. Yeah, and I think if the Orioles had the number three or number four pick in this draft, I honestly think Brooks Lee would be the pick. Because I think that at that point, you're talking about a Heston Kerstad number two overall going under slot, a Colton Kowser going number five overall and under slot. So I think it would fit that mold. But the fact that they have the number one pick makes me think that they don't want to pass on who they think is the best talent at this position. And that we've seen that model of them go with college over the last three years. But going back to his days in Houston when he was the assistant GM there, they did take high school guys. Carlos Correa was a high school player. And then he, you know, he ended up signing for under slot. So maybe there's a high school guy that is going to be the, the big thing here. The big question mark is money. And it's just something that we don't have access to. And we don't have knowledge of, but what is the specific dollar amount that each of these guys is looking for? And that is going to determine a lot in terms of who the Orioles want to go with, because it's all, uh, it, it all factors in. If the Orioles go under slot at one, maybe they have a better chance to go over slot at 33 or 67 or 81. They have so many picks in this, in the first day, in the first couple of days of this draft. And if they go closer to the slot value, maybe Drew Jones wants close to, or he wants over slot at number one, maybe they're just too tempted by that. And they say, well, we'll just have to find an under slot guy later on in this draft. So it's, it's going to come down to how much – a lot of it's going to come down to how much these guys are willing to command at this point. And I think to your point about college players, I think what, like, what Michael Elias in this front office loves about college players is how safe they are because you knew when you're getting Colson, Colton Kowser, no, he may not have the ceiling that some of these high school bats got last year, but he certainly has a very high floor because he's got three, several years sample size at Sam Houston State where we've had eyes on him. He's played up against – competition that we know is not just some random high school guys high school just offers a level of unpredictability you don't have as much statistical data you don't have as many sensors in the ballparks like you do with ncaa baseball so college offers a much more advanced approach and it gives you so much more information and you're having extra an extra three years potentially of sample size of stats of data to look at these guys so i think that's why we've seen elias in the front office lean more towards college guys because they know what they're getting in those guys. And high school guys just have this vast level of unpredictability. You're talking again about the high school pitcher or high school batters versus the college batters and what a safe, you know, the safe haven, the college guys are pitchers are just a different animal on their own. Yeah. And again, I mean, and it was, I, I was not shocked, but I was kind of surprised when Elias straight up came out and was like, 
we're not even looking at any pitcher like very early. And it, again, it seems like a, a lot of the top guys have either had Tommy John or they're, they're hurt, stuff like that. So where do you think, again, you mentioned some of their picks, they have six of the top 110. Where do you think they start kind of trying to like, all right, at, you know, at 33, can they get one of the top guys who again is injured and who would have been a top guy if not for the surgery or injury or whatever, where do you think they're trying to kind of pick their spot to get a pitcher? Cause it seems like they like going again, like college bat, you know, under slot or over slot high school bat. And then like pitcher. Yeah. You know, that's kind of seems to, to be uh, Elias's his pattern. Yeah. I think with, with all this stuff, all we have to go by is their draft history because Elias is not going to give us any kind of insight. So <laughs> going by their draft history, I look back at, like you said, the last couple of drafts and they last year was incredibly puzzling at first before you got the full picture of the draft, Carlos Tavera. And then they waited five more rounds and then they went on this crazy run of pitchers on the last day of the draft it was one of the strangest ways to formulate a draft board. But it was fascinating, and I think it made a lot more sense the further away I got from it. Um, the one example that I do have of Mike Elias from his Houston days that I think of is the draft in which they went under slot at one, and I believe it was the Carlos Correa draft, and then took Lance McCullers later on in the, I think it was the early 30s of that draft, the second round essentially pick that they had, and they went way over slot for Lance McCullers and they paid him 2.5 million. Everybody else around that time in the draft was getting 500,000 or something around that, that realm. So he's done it in the past and it worked for the most part. I mean, I think McCullers has had injuries, but it's for the, that's been a pretty solid pick. I think you could say, so he's not afraid to do it, but I thought if there was any opportunity for Elias to do that kind of under slot position player, one way over slot high school pitcher, at 33 or 32, wherever it was, I thought it was going to be 2020 when he went with Heston Kerstad, who we knew was going to be an underslot guy. And then they didn't do it. And they went with another underslot guy in Jordan Westberg at 30. That has worked out incredibly well so far. And it wasn't until the fourth round where they went over slot with Kobe Mayo, a high school position player. So I think anything is on the table at this point. I wouldn't be shocked if they go with a pitcher at 33. I just don't know who's going to be available at that point because from all the draft consensus that I've gotten, it's that the first 10 picks are going to be dominated by position players. And the first 30 or so is vast majority is going to be position players over pitchers. And when it gets to 33 is the guy that they want on the, the board at that point. And are they willing to go over slot? And I think that they could go any number of ways, especially because they have four picks on day one of this draft. Yeah. I mean, it's super interesting to have no real, top top line pitchers slated to be in the top 10 like that seems super rare like even just following college baseball there is not like a dominant college starter like i'm looking keith laws just top 100 just to sort of look at it as i've looked through stuff the whole week and adam mazer from iowa was the big 10 pitcher of the year i watched him pitch the big 10 tournament like doesn't scream first round pick at least just like from watching one start so it's amazing right. to me that a guy like that is that high um no disrespect to mr mazer who was obviously good but there's just not the like you know even watching a lot of the college world series and things like that, there weren't the top line college pitchers this year. Um, and you don't have even those, some of those intriguing high school arms. So it's just fascinating for me to look at all of these rankings and see so many position players, like in the top 30 or 40. It is weird. And it's weird that Elias who keeps all options on the table, you know, at least publicly would rule out a pitcher that took goes to show you that he's willing to rule something out. 
that it means that there is a 0.0% chance that they take a pitcher at one, because that is just the gap between the position players and the pitchers. Usually he, he will keep all options on the table. Like last year, I think of, and he says, well, if there's a pitcher that we really like, we'll go ahead and take that guy. Even though we knew that there was maybe a 1% chance they'd take a pitcher. There's a 0.0% chance that they're taking a pitcher number one. And I would say there's a very, very, very slim chance that the pitcher goes in the top five. So it's, it's very strange draft in terms of the, the pitcher talent at that, at the top, because it is dominated by position players. The pitcher conversations, an interesting one for sure. And I'd like to kind of talk on that on a more macro level as it relates to the Orioles. <clears throat> it's definitely a philosophical thing with Elias. And I've seen other GMs, especially in the modern age, kind of follow this blueprint, which is accumulate as many bats, usually college bats, as much as you can, get yourself close to a contention window. And then, you know, what's the next step to augment this roster with more pitching? You know, we do have pitchers in the pipeline here. But at a certain point, you got to think that they're going to go out and acquire, whether it be through trade, through free agency, a starting pitcher or two to, to kind of augment the roster. And then, you know, where do you see Elias kind of stepping on the gas with that and, and through what method? And, you know, what do you foresee on that front? It is difficult to say at this point because we have not seen them yet in the win now mode where they are set to acquire guys who are major league ready or are major leaguers. But I would say, I think that they have a two pronged approach to addressing pitching in the long-term macro view. I think the first is to take a ton of swings on pitchers late in the draft, like they did last year, guys who have traits, guys who are like a Carlos Tavera, where they're a high spin rate, good alternate stuff. And they trust their system to develop those guys. So they, they say, we're going to take all the proven college bats that we can or proven bats, period, that we can in the first 10 rounds. And then the last 10 rounds, we're going to just take swings. And it's like the seventh round of the NFL draft where you're just you're taking this guy with crazy concerns. You know, maybe he's got eight back surgeries, but he had that one good pro day. And you're just taking a huge swing on the guy because you know that there's no, you know, not a great chance that he's going to be a, a, an NFL player. I think they view the last 10 rounds as a chance for you to take big swings. And you say, this guy's got something I can work with. This guy will get into the work system. We'll get him into the lab at Wake Forest. We can work with that. And they see which one of those guys they can develop. And then the second prong of that is acquiring these guys via trade and free agency. It's why we huge, huge reason why we saw the left field wall being moved back because the Orioles intend to address pitching and free agency over the next few years. It's what we saw with Houston when Michael Elias was there. What did they do? They grew their bats and then they acquired arms. They acquired Garrett Cole. They acquired some of the best pitchers, Zach Greinke, some of the best pitchers in the game, Justin Verlander. None of those guys came up through their system and all of them were huge players on teams that won pennants. So they intend, I think, to try to take swings on these pitchers late in the rounds, in the later rounds of the draft. And then when they get good, they're going to have a, an, a huge depth of quality position players in their farm system with which to deal. And I think the hope is by the time, you know, the Orioles have all these picks on day one of the draft, maybe by the time these guys are in double A, the Orioles are so good that they're using these guys as, as trade pieces. I know that's weird to, to say because we've been in the draft and develop mode for so many years now, but given how fast this major league team is developing, 
you never know. Maybe the Orioles are competing for a wild card spot for, you know, sooner than we think. And there's no, you look at the big league roster and you say, boy, there's really not enough room for these guys. That's okay. You can trade those guys to get a quality pitcher. If that's where your team is lacking on the big league diamond. So it's, it's a two pronged approach. I think that Mike Elias is taking here. It makes a lot of sense because it takes away, you take away so much of the variability of, of pitching on the draft, which is just yes. so much, so much hitter, more hit or miss than hitting. It's just yes. so much harder, especially if you're taking high school arms. Yes. Um, I, I, totally and so, and it, I think they get a little bit lucky by the fact that the two guys that got picked before they got here are two high school arms that look like they're going to work out, knock on wood. So, but then you look at the rest of the, the organizational depth and it's mostly position players, but yeah, you're right. I mean, in Houston, they were like, why would we swing for pitching when we can just go get guys that are proven already and we can, it's easier to build hitting in the draft. Yeah. And you look at the added thing, the added risk, I think with pitchers is injury. I mean, usually position players are easily, you know, they have, yes, you have instances where they go through some major surgery, some major injury, and they're never the same, but more often than not, when you talk about a career changing injury, you're talking about a pitcher, you're talking about a Tommy John surgery, a thoracic outlet, in syndrome surgery. So you have the added risk of injury at that level. And, and look at the variability of the arms from the last couple of drafts. I remember last year, Oriole, there was a portion of the Orioles fan base that was saying, we need pitchers, got to take a pitcher at number five. And they were saying, look at Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Well, guess what? Kumar Rocker ended up not being able to sign with the Mets and he's back available in this draft. So the Orioles could in theory take him at number 33 if he's available. And look at Jack Leiter who's got an ERA over six in double A. And everybody said that he was the next great pitching prospect and he still has a ton of potential, but neither of those guys is a sure thing to be a big leaguer at some point soon. So it's a huge risk to take a pitcher, not just injury wise, but talent wise. It's just, it's hard to do unless you have that Steven Strasburg at the top of that draft that, you know, this guy's going to be an ace for years to come. It's just a hard risk to take. And I think that the Orioles probably view the difference between a first round position player and a 10th round position player. They think that difference is greater than a first round pitcher and a 10th round pitcher. Whereas they think, you know, they're, they're going to bet on the traits of a 10th round pitcher over, you know, necessarily giving $8 million to a pitcher at the top of the draft and saddling him with, with being the face of their rotation for years to come. And you talked we talked about him a little, but again, the high school pitcher DL Hall. Um awesome today again. He's not as good as his last start, which is very hard to do. I think, and I can't believe that this is a real stat that he had 35 swing and misses his start two starts ago. That's that seems unbelievable. Like I, I had to read that a couple of times to make sure I was reading it right. Um, but over his last three starts, 15 and two thirds, one earned run, seven walks, and 30 K's. Yeah, I mean, wh- when are we talking about DL Hall as a Baltimore Oriole, not a Norfolk Tide? I think when the walk rate comes down, unfortunately, which it's still been relatively high, and it is still an issue for him, unfortunately. And it for DL Hall, he's always been clear about it, it's not a command issue; it is a nibble issue. He's always trying to hunt. He's hunting the strikeouts, and boy, does it work when he is getting swing and misses. But at times you're getting a lot of guys who were laying off his stuff and it's leading to some walks. And last time I checked, I think his, his walk rate is still over five. It's still over five batters per nine. So 
that is what's leading to the inflated ERA. Unfortunately, it's what, what's leading to the shorter starts that we've seen from him. And while he's throwing a lot of pitches, like he threw in the 90s, you know, two starts ago, he didn't get particularly deep into the game. And it's something that I think that the Orioles are still hoping to see from him. It feels a lot like the conversation that we were having in 2019 with Ryan Mountcastle, where you're saying this guy's hitting 312 at AAA Norfolk. He's got 25 bombs. He's got an OPS over 800 What is or 900 at that point, whatever it was. What is stopping the Orioles from calling this guy up? And it was his walk rate. And if for, for him, a position player, the opposite side of the walk rate, he wasn't walking enough. And the Orioles were very patient, and they made sure that that walk rate got a little bit higher. And then they called him up in 2020, and they worked with him, obviously, at the alternate site before they called him up. And we've still seen it be an issue for Ryan Mountcastle at times, where he's chased pitches that are ridiculously out of the zone, but he has learned to hone that in a little bit, and it's what's made him one of the best hitters on this team. So I think that it's still possible that he gets there by the end of the hall, by the end of the season, DL Hall does. But I think that the Orioles are still, they're not going to call up a guy just to call him up. And, you know, certainly it would make the Orioles fan base very happy. And I think that that day is coming soon, but until they see the necessary improvements from DL Hall that they are looking for specifically, they are still going to wait to pull the trigger on Hall. Oh, I'm going to get you out of here on a little rapid fire. Okay. (laughs) Who does Michael Elias take with the first pick? Right now, I say Jamar Johnson. Who does Paul Mancano take with the first pick? Probably right now, I say Drew Jones, but it's this close. Will this guy be on the team after the trade deadline or not be on the team after the trade deadline? Trey Mancini. No. Jorge Mateo. Yes. Anthony Santander. Yes. Jorge Lopez. Yes. You got anybody else, RDT? <laughs> I, I was trying to think of a Bobby Abreu question, but I got nothing. <laughs> I was trying to think of another player they could trade. Hopefully anybody I'm not that traded. I'm, you never know. Yeah, no, that's what I say. Is, is Paul Mancana still working for Masson after yeah. the trade? I was going to say, you're the, you're, the, you're the Trey Mancini of Masson. So it's like, are you, you might have to go with them. You might have to, yeah. if they trade him to the Cardinals, you might have to just head over to St. Louis and we'll bring you back next year. Honestly, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. I'm on an expiring contract, if you will. <laughs> uh, plug any, plug all the Masson things, all the all the social you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, at Masson Orioles is where you can find our social. Uh, and we've got the Masson All Access podcast, which... We are doing special draft episodes leading up to the draft. We're going to do a draft night show that's going to be Sunday night. We're going to have Mike Elias join us shortly after the first overall pick. Some exciting other guests joining us. So tune in on YouTube, Facebook, um, anywhere that you can tune in. I think those are the only two. And on the, the Masson app. Uh, and watch our draft show and uh, listen to the Masson All Access podcast. I, I will be in the comments yet again for another. For <laughs> will you be crying in the club? Is my question. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. It just depends. Yeah, who do you want? Who are you throwing? So, RDT, every year you throw your weight behind somebody. Who's your guy this year? I was big on Green early. Um, yeah, you were. Yeah, you were like I was. I was like on Green's Instagram when he was like fifteen. So. Yeah. Um, I DM'd a couple of them today. Have not got any responses. <laughs> um, Asking for crab. If they like crab cakes. Yeah, I just said crab cakes to Drew Jones. Yeah. Question. Eric invented that move, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. Is apparently the first one. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm kind of, I'm in that same boat where I'm like, I would love Drew Jones. I think it would be fun, but like, again, what's the timeline on him? What are we going to see him in three or four years? That's another thing. 
Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I really, I can be swayed any which way. Um, my, my love can be bought or my, I, that's probably not the word I should use. Talk wow. I don't know how I to word that without. without that. Yeah, yeah, me not, too. I was going to say. I don't know how to word this without ending up behind. Yeah, RDT is sweating. It so, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, we'll just hit the roll, roll on to the next one. I, I got nothing. It sounds like RDT, you need to listen to the mass and all access draft preview shows to figure out who you want. That's what yeah, it sounds you know, like. Exactly. Paul Mancana, thanks for joining us, man. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Back to you in the studio. Trust, trust. Back on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. Tremendous stuff for Masses Paul Mancano. Make sure to go listen to all of the uh, Mass and All Access podcasts. Uh, follow them on social. They do a great job. Masson has really always done a great job on their social, even through like all the losing years. They've always found ways to like, uh, I'm impressed. Someone that does a lot of social media, I'm impressed by their the, the stuff they do, even in the losing years. So I'm happy that they also get to experience the winning. Um, just interesting to talk about the draft. Like the, I think if the Orioles were mired in a similar, um, you know, season they've been in the last three or four years there would have been a ton of talk about this number one pick this recent winning stretch has kind of killed not killed the buzz but made the number one pick a little bit less of a story which is good you don't want the MLB draft to be the top story for your organization because that means you're bad Um, but the Orioles now have the ability to restock with another top prospect I don't think any of the three of us would pretend to be draft experts and that's why we had Paul on Um, but now an interesting decision for Michael Elias what does he do with the number one pick and does he bring in a guy who he thinks he can deal later? I thought that was a great point that Paul brought up that now guys taking the top of the draft are not necessarily assets for you. They're assets for everybody and what you could do to improve the team later. It's a phenomenal point. I mean, we're just starting to build up such a deep farm system at this point. We're top 10 in all the rankings and we got top guys that are eventually going to be all up in the big leagues. And we're starting to draft we're looking at the possibility of drafting guys at the same positions that we're already stocked at. So it's a phenomenal point by him. Like we're just kind of stockpiling talent at this point. If we're playing as well as we're playing now, and we've got all kinds of great players right around the corner, they're going to be coming up and going to be producing. And the players that are already up are going to be producing better because they're just learning more and, and getting more experience and getting better. At a certain point, you're just going to be too, too talented, which is ridiculous to say, but um, at a certain point that happens and, uh, it's an, it's an exciting potential problem to have. I was going to say, people are asking, are the Orioles too good? Like, that's a question that they could be asking <laughs> in the future. Like, are there too many good players on the Orioles, which what a world that would be. Um, no, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, Paul, I wish I knew as much about anything as Paul knew about this year's draft. Like he, he had it all covered. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, there's a ton of interesting guys there. There's a lot of fun guys. You know, Drew Jones would be fun. Johnston would be fun. Elijah Green would be fun. I, I just, I have no idea. And again, every Keith Law is, is, he seems pretty zoned in. He's been changing his pick every day, you know, every mock draft he does. Um, so like Paul said, I truly don't think anyone will know until maybe an hour before, maybe less. Um, and, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. And like you said, it did kind of take a back seat, the draft, just because there isn't that Drew Jones is a very exciting player. He's a very young, fun player, but there's not that like sexy pick. Like Spencer Torkelson, you know, was a, he, people knew him. They were like, oh, that guy, you know, he he hit bombs. You know, same thing with Adley and a couple of the other guys before. There, there just isn't that pick this year. Um, 
So it's again, yeah. Part of that is those are, those guys were college guys who exactly were top we, prospects we, for a while. You saw mm-hmm. them on TV, blah blah Been blah on the blah. radar, and, and there wasn't like the the prep guy. Like he brought up a Strasburg, or you know, obviously Bryce Harper went to junior college, but you know there there wasn't like that. Even like Bobby Witt feels like he was more hyped than like a lot of these guys. It's actually weird to me that Drew Jones is not getting more hype considering his pedigree. Mm-hmm. Jackson Holiday is the same thing as the son of, you know, son of Andrew Jones, son of Matt Holiday. Like I would act, there's a lot of like guys with um, family ties, baseball family ties at the top of the draft. And those, I, I would have thought that would have allowed those guys to get a little bit like Drew Jones is the son of obviously a guy that, you know, broken in the bigs at 19 and was just a stud and you, hitting, you so, hitting world series home runs at 19. Yeah. So you would have thought that maybe I think he's right. I think um, at the end of the day, based on how they, it seems like they operate unless they, you know, do the college bat thing and pick a guy like Brooks Lee, who I follow a lot of college baseball. And I can't say I've watched any Cal poly. So I haven't seen him play. Um but Termar Johnson is the high school guy that has the hit tool that feels the most projectable. And that just feels like the thing that they do. So that feels like the guy that they'll take and not, and worry about the defense later. Um, if they're going to take one of the high school guys and any of those guys, you can really, you're not worrying about their defense when you draft them. Like you, you want their bat and you'll figure out a place to put them. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's Bryce Harper was a catcher, you know, people forget. Nobody talks about it. Antonio gets yep. played basketball, you know, so it's, yeah, you can. Adley Rushman was a kicker. A, Adley Rushman was a kicker. I had someone who actually didn't know that this weekend. Um, but wow. yeah, yeah, again, I mean, you, they you don't clearly don't listen to this show. <laughs> you don't worry about the defense. You, uh, you, you, you find that offense and you just stick them somewhere. So uh, I'm excited. You know, I think we may be doing something at Jimmy's. It, again, it sucks. It's a Sunday night at seven o'clock. Figure it out, MLB. I know that's Taylor's line. Figure it out. Like, you got to do something, but. They're, they're, I mean, we talked about this a little bit off air. Like their biggest issue is their draft is so hard to understand. The overslot, the underslot, the pick values. You and there's just and a thing they can't really combat. You've got to follow so many levels of baseball to have any freaking idea who anybody is. You've got to like you have all these prep guys at the top of the draft. There's no way to watch any of those guys unless you go on YouTube and all these different things. And then college baseball, I think, is you know growing in popularity, but most people check in at the College World Series, and not every single top guy in the draft is playing in the College World Series. Like the top college bat, Brooks Lee, was not a guy that played in the NCAA. I can't remember if Cal played, but I don't think that they did. Kevin Prada did not. Georgia Tech did not make the NCAA tournament. Texas Tech didn't have a long run with Jace Chung. Like Campbell was in the tournament, didn't have Zach Nitto. I'm just going through Keith Lawson. And Gavin Cross, they lost in the Super Regionals of Virginia Tech. So, you know, there's just not as much familiarity, so you can't, like, create as many stars. But it'll be nice if they – they've done – I will say they've figured out the first round a little bit. They've, like, made it more of a thing. They try to do this thing in Secaucus, which is kind of a joke. But, you know, I, they're trying um, – it's just tough. I'm so glad they don't during during the college season anymore. That is a huge. They probably shouldn't be this far after the college season. That should probably be right after the college world series, like the week after. But this is way better. I mean, it was so ridiculous when guys were getting picked like during super regional games and oh, in the game. middle of their seasons, and it just and even for colleges to try to promote it. Like I've been on that side of it. Like you know, you're going into an NCAA tournament game or coming right after it, and you're trying to like then promote the draft too. It just hurts college's ability to do it and it, there was a one point i think daisy swanson was in the middle of the game when he found out he got drafted. I think, yeah i think yeah, like, he got picked in the middle or like right before yeah yeah it's like come on what are we yeah, doing also, i mean that's not that long ago what is that 20 
2015. 15? Yeah. That's again, that's I believe 2015. Not that long ago where that was happening. There, 2014, 2015. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, so MLB draft Sunday. Sounds like Paul and the guys at Mass and All Access, they've got a big good thing going. I have Michael Elias right on after. I think that's that's a good thing to watch. I think I, one thing I'll say when Michael Elias gets on things, he is interesting to listen to. I, I like the quotes, the way he goes into it. You know, he doesn't obviously show his hand on everything, but I think he gives a decent take on the way they look at things and and talk about the draft and even that you know uh, his name is kobe perez the international scouting mm-hmm. guy is that yep. like when they did the thing with him after the internet with elias and him i thought that was a super interesting like 30 minute press conference in terms of like listening about the organizational philosophy so uh, i'm sure he'll be great on that show and i'm sure paul and the boys will obviously do a good job um talking to him about it so make sure to listen to that let's get to the starting five draft presented by fed thrill um i mean we are midsummer it is so hot i don't need to pitch sunglasses freaking put your fed thrill sunglasses off 20 percent off x52 is the promo code buy your sunnies wear them in the 100 degree heat um or during the you know tornado-ish storms that flew through college park today trying to destroy you know the greatest college on the planet um so get your sunglasses fed thrill X-52 is the promo code. Home run derby's coming up soon. Doesn't look like the Orioles, the Orioles have nobody in it. So that's unfortunate. But I, I, I reached out. I did some, some tried to poke around to see if any of the guys were getting in. And um, I was informed they tried to get someone in a certain first baseman and it sounded like a no-go. So, mm, so uh, we'll not probably have an Oriole winner of the home run derby, but um, there have been two Miguel Tejada in 2004 and, Cal Ripken in 1991, and it got us thinking, what would be our perfect home run derby lineup? We will obviously all draft five of who we would want in a home run derby. Can't repeat, obviously, um, but there's certainly more than enough um, exciting home run derby guys to go around. I love the home run derby. Me and RDT were talking about this before we jumped on banks off air. Like the way they formatted the home run derby, I think has revived it. I love the time for it. Cannot wait for it next week. So, with that said, starting five draft, home run, uh, your dream home run derby, RDT, you have the first pick. I have the second pick. Monsieur Banks has the third pick. Um, so, take it away, RDT. I think it has to be Barry Bonds. Yeah. Just the, the swing, like the lefty, the, the smoothness, the, the how far the, the, the freaking balls go. It just – it has to be Bonds. Like, it, it's a shame – and, like – I mean, he was, he's just the best. He's the best. Like, I, I, I don't, I wonder why he wasn't in that 93 Derby. I don't know if he was, I don't think so. Like, I wonder why he wasn't in that Derby. Cause I'm that guy could put some holes in the warehouse. Like, why was that not a thing at the time? I would have loved to see it. Great question. Maybe because they couldn't have put the balls far enough, high enough on the warehouse. Like Griffey's is eight feet up. So like, all right, this is perfect. We can stick that there. You're not getting a guy up on a crane to put Barry Bonds up on the third floor or whatever. But I, I think got to go Bonds. I mean, he's just – he's a he's an animal. He's the best. Best ever. Was going through some home run derby stuff today. He he got, like, intentionally walked in the 04 home run derby that – I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah. That Tejada one. Um, funny. Very funny. Barry Bonds, we've, we've talked about him on the show before in these drafts. You have like the Barry Bonds clips that like come through Twitter. One that came through my feed last week was the Eric Gagne after he'd won the oh, Cy Young versus Bonds, where Bonds like freaking destroys the ball foul 
and then just cranks a home run and Gagne just looks totally befuddled of like what he was supposed to do. Like he throws it like a hundred miles an hour, twice in a row and Bonds just like freaking just like got the fastest hands in the history of the world and just cranks a home run. Guy's awesome. Great pick. Um, I considered, I was going to consider two people with this pick. I figured Bonds would probably be gone, but he would have been who I would have taken. And if I had the number one pick, this would have been the other guy I would have considered. So I'm glad to get him here. I'm taking Ken Griffey Jr. with the second pick. Uh, I thought that was an easier one, one. I thought that that was the pick for sure. Yeah. I think if I had picked one, one, I was going to take Griffey, but bonds was certainly in concession. I think I just said I would take bonds. I think I would have taken Griffey not thinking about it. Um, but two, I think those are the two one, one candidates, uh, sweet swing, tremendous home run derby history. He's awesome. Not much else to say for the kid, the kid, the kid. That's a great pick. It's yeah. When you think Homer and Derby, you think Griffey. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Is the five not flipped on that? That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two. Sorry. You guys are going to know what we're talking about here. It's very funny. Uh, hopefully threw the watermark on it. That's funny. Yeah, we might, lot, we might get a live reaction of the Orioles getting back to 500. I've legitimately thought, like, I'm just going to stop and I'm just going to record a video for Twitter. And I was trying to find if there was any way for me to do a warehouse one, but the, the numbers just don't work out the right way. But this is <laughs> the next best thing. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. That's going like, to do so many numbers. little behind the scenes. Uh, you're looking behind the curtain. Yeah, it's funny that I – yeah. If I hadn't gotten home so late, we probably could have gotten this done before – we get to the potentially the historic moment. I meant to go back and look when the last time the Orioles were 500 this deep in the season. I got I got to imagine it's 2016. But. They said 2017, September 9th. Oh, uh, okay, okay. They said it before. Um, thanks. You got two. It's my pick. Uh, I'm going to take Orioles great Sammy Sosa. Um, the yes. show we put on at Miller Park, hitting the slide was awesome. Um, I don't like. Yeah, Bonds, 73 home runs, and was untouchable. I mean, his whole career, but especially that OO stretch. But Sosa hit 60 home runs in three straight years. That's never been done, never been close to done. Sammy, I mean, Sammy's electric. He's a character. I'm taking Sammy Sosa. It's an easy pick for me. Yeah. Great home run derby guy, a lot of flair. All right, fourth pick. You guys ready to, to get in the weeds on this one? Do it. Taking Babe Ruth. I'm doing it. I'm taking him this early. Uh, this is dream home run derby. If we could all just go back and watch him try to crank dingers when the sole, I mean, that's all I ever try to do anyways, but when the sole purpose is to just try to crank dingers, I think he'd be electric. I think he was also a character. He's renowned for hitting bombs. So Babe Ruth, I think everybody would love to see that. I was wondering if he could get all the way back to me. And I, I, I was going to take him here because I just feel like you have to, like, dream home run derby, like, we've never seen it. Like, you want him in there. You got to get him in there. You have to get him in there. Uh, I don't think I it would have been crazy for pick. somebody to go, go first, just like, just because I thought about Ruth. it. Yeah, it's just tough to – It's tough. it was tough for me to get away from a guy like Griffey of, like, seeing that environment. It's just like uh, – And he's got, he's got home run derby stature. He's a legend when it comes to home run. He's the only person to win it three times. A lot of places I could go here with the fifth pick. Um, but I, this was my guy that I wanted historically if I didn't get Ruth for his, you know, just sort of freakish baseball talent. I'm taking 
I'm taking Willie Mays. I'm putting Mr. Mays in the home run derby because I just feel like in that environment, you would, you would just see a lot of like the athletic tools that made him special. Um, and just sort of, as you said, just kind of crank homers. Um, obviously six all time at home runs. Um, but I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking Willie Mays. Just get, get one of the, get one, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, is arguably one, you know, the most talented guy to ever step on the field. If we're going to do throwback ones, I get, I'll complete the trio. I'm going hammer and Hank. Yeah. Again, he was never, he never put up. I don't, didn't he, it wasn't his stat. He never hit more than 40 home runs or he never hit 40 home runs in a season. I think. Right along. He never had 50. Hammer. Yeah. For hammer and 50. Hank. Is that what it was? He never had 50. So again, just a kind of a consistent, like he wouldn't hit 450 footers, but he'd give you some 415 and 420 and he had just, just laced them out of there. Just, just hit after hit. So yeah, again, I mean, I think, I got the, I mean, I got combined. We're talking the most home runs ever to two guys. So I go Hank with that one. It was a nice little fun, fun little stroll down uh, history or uh, memory lane there with us. Um, and then if we're just going to go, I'm just going to go arguably my favorite player who never played for the Orioles. Well, he is my favorite player who never played for the Orioles. Just one of the most violent swings, the most copy stance ever. We're doing we're doing <laughs> Gary Sheffield. Mm. And I mean, I think you've taken Gary Sheffield in a draft before. I think so. I may I forget what I took him for, but um, again, I mean, five hundred home runs, barely. He like just got over. I think he was like five oh four or something like that with the Mets. People forget he was even on the Mets. Um, but yeah, again, he's my he's my favorite player that never played on the Orioles. Um, I think he's just a lot of fun because again, he's the most fun stance to copy when you're mashing wiffle balls in the backyard, like. You, you just do it. So he's, he was always my favorite and I enjoy watching him absolutely murder baseball. So we're going, we're going chef on that one. Um, where do I want to go here? I'm going to, I'm just going to take a guy that I like watching hit baseballs. I'm taking Vladdy. I'm taking Vlad Guerrero, which is, which one I'm taking the first, I'm taking, I'm taking senior. I'm taking senior. I'm taking senior Vladdy Jr. I think has the ability to get into home run derby legend status. If he, if he does, does one, few, yeah, if he does one, does a few. But wait, are you saying Vlad just, Jr. hasn't done one? Because no, he's done one. He's done yeah. the one. I'm saying he's got he to hit the most say, home runs in a single round. In yeah, home run derby I'm history. saying I'm for me. I think he. I, I I just like his dad. I like watching his dad hit baseballs more than the son, which I know is like maybe a controversial take, but. I'm taking I'm taking Vladdy Senior or, or another Orioles legend. <laughs> Thanks. Hmm. I'm gonna take Prince Fielder. He was fun. Damn it. He was a fun was, dude. I thought I could yeah. get him on the go around. Big guy. Yeah, no, he won for the big boys. He won a couple of them. He's a big boy. He swing from the heels. He was fun. I love the McDonald's commercial from the nineties when him and his dad are, have you seen that commercial? We're talking about triple cheeseburgers. I think so. Go back and go back and find that one. That one's hilarious. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's gotta be Prince Fielder career cut short too soon. He was another guy who was like a legitimate, like I liked him as a baseball player a lot. He was so much fun to watch. He was fun. He, I mean, he has the best celebration, like the best team celebration ever. When he hit that walk off and they did the bomb, like that was, that was unbelievable. It's just everything about him was great. You, 
And for some reason, I, I was convinced that the Orioles were going to sign him. And then they traded for Chris Davis. And I was like, there goes the dream. Prince ain't coming here now. Like, thanks a lot. So I don't know why I had that in my head, but very good pick. Oh, Amazon driver outside. What an absolute scene here with a little bit. It's an absolute Guy, scene. We it's almost an went an entire podcast that, out here. Buster just loves dingers. He loves home run derby. What can I he say? Loves, he loves. He loves royalty. He's excited for my next pick. I'm taking Big Mac. You got to take Big Mac in this draft. Somebody's got to do it. I'm doing. I'm taking Big Mac. Um, I mean. Give me all the roids in this thing. I want roids in my home run derby. Mark McGuire, not here to talk about the past. Mark McGuire, let's go. Big Mac, easy pick for me. Got to be picked. I'll just, I'll just keep the train rolling there. I'm taking Jose Canseco. Got to have him in here. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Batch brothers, let's go. I need the controversy. I need the storylines. I need the fact that he his <laughs> – TikTok famous daughter could be involved in some drama. I need, I need everything. I need everything involving Jose Canseco. I, I, I don't want him in his prime. I want him right now. I want him right now. Put he has him a in bad here. shoulder though, don't you? Didn't you? Well, well, well. You know, I'll let you guys deal. I'll let you guys deal with that at a uh, level. But, um, yeah, I'm taking. No, I'm just kidding. I'm taking Jose. Bash brother Jose Canseco. Heck of a home run hitter. Brings a lot to the table. A lot of trash talking. Bring him in. Uh, great, great musical about him, him and Big Mac too. <laughs> All right, Large Mac. My, my last two. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go, and I know he did a couple. I can't remember how many though, but one of my favorite, just pure home run hitters to watch, Carlos Delgado was awesome. He he hit just tank after tank, and he's another guy who just is not appreciated for whatever reason, like, I don't even like, I, I think he's a borderline hall of famer. Like he was, I remember the year, I think he had a hundred RBIs before the all-star break. Like he was just awesome. And people are just, he's never even talked about anymore. Like he's everything I ever wanted in like a first baseman. He, I thought, I thought he was awesome. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Carlos Delgado. And then if we're just going to go straight up like brute strength, I just want to see this guy hit as many home runs as he can. Has It has to be Bo Jackson. Just, mm. I would love. I like that pick. I would love to see him tee off on, on some, you know, 65, 70 mile an hour batting practice fastballs, sending everything into orbit. I think that would be a lot of fun. He, he could put on, he could put on a show and a half. So I'll, I'll round mine out there. I like that. Um, I'm going to take a pure athlete here with my last pick, a guy that, you know, a, a, another two sports star. I'm, I'm taking Tim Tebow. I'm just kidding. I'm not taking Tim Tebow. I'm going to take gonna make a mockery oh. of the entire thing. No, no, no. I'm taking Manny Ramirez. Manny being Manny. Yeah. Bring the controversy. I'm taking Manny. Sweet swing of Manny Ramirez. Love him. Love watching. I liked watching him. I hated him with the Red Sox, but I loved watching him. You hated him with the Red Sox? I, I never hated him. I, I, I hated I, Ortiz. I never hated Manny. That's interesting. I actually didn't mind. Ortiz was so unbelievable in the clutch. It was hard not to respect him. I, I understand, like, the, the like, you know, phone thing and the stuff in Camden Yards and the, you know, rumors of steroid use, but 
maybe it was just our overall Red Sox hate, but I'm taking here. Great. And the, the Manny being Manny commercial uh, also is a great, this is sports center. We're going to mm-hmm. do this is sports center. <laughs> Very good. Um, so could have gotten taken. Uh, so yeah. Uh, finish it up, Banks. I can't believe this still got to me. Uh, I'm taking the secret weapon. I'm taking Pablo Sanchez. I'm taking him. And you get to pick your pitcher out there. I'm putting Mr. Planky on the mound. He's throwing cookies in there to Pablo all day. <laughs> Hitting it to all fields. Pablo Sanchez, easy pick. Can't believe this got to me. Fifth round pick. Steal the draft. Game over. I got to be honest. I didn't think I didn't think that much about, like, video game or movie for this. I, like, kept it straight. I should have thought more about it. I should have thought more about it from that side of things. I didn't I know how, didn't like, off it. the off the the path we were. I mean, the secret out. weapon I, is the secret weapon though the pure, the best pure home run hitter in backyard baseball. I would say so, just because he had so much power to the opposite field. Yeah, he could definitely. Yeah, I don't yeah, think he's got the most pull power, but yeah, he definitely. He's definitely going. He's definitely hitting all fields for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's got the best like pull. Full side in that game. Honestly, Pete Wheeler could really turn on one. Keisha Phillips had a lot of pull Keisha side power. Phillips also did Ahmed Khan. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Ahmed Khan. Yeah. Ahmed Khan had like the full, like he was fully stepped to the side. Like it was just trying to like. Yeah. Those are kind of the big hitters there. Uh, Jocinda Smith had some power. She was a fraud. She was overrated. Her stats yeah, do not line up with her. Ability. No, I'm just saying there was certainly there was certainly power there. Stephanie Morgan was a has been too. Stephanie Morgan was all poolside, and that was very hard. That swing was just not good. No, it was like oh, I'm like I'm like Mrs. Baseball. It's like well, you can't really swing the bat. So great, the, great, great, great player in the middle of the infield though. Could really defend. I'm trying to think if we're missing anybody. Dante Robinson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That guy. Yeah, it's hard not to. He's always on my team. Uh, Honorable mentions for me. I Giancarlo, Mm -hmm. good home run derby guy. Uh, I had the judge. Um, Bryce Harper. Has has Manny been in home run derby? I can't say I remember seeing him in one. No, I did pull a would card. be nice for him to get into one. I did pull a card that has a green jersey swatch from one of the all star game weekends of his. It may have just been like those warm up. I don't think he ever got in. Man, he, I mean, he would be a lot of fun. I just think he would be fun to watch him, his swing in that environment, him just trying to hit homers would be really fun to watch. Um, he did no, I, I'm sorry. He did. He did do one. Let me see. Um, I, I had Chris eliminated Davis. in the first round. He got I had Chris uh, Davis Jock, as well. Jock, Peter, Jock Peterson beat him. It was uh, oh, it, was that Jock Peterson's great performance? I think that was that was Cincinnati, correct? When was Jock Peterson really good? I think it was that one, right? I don't remember. After I talked about how much I loved him in derbies, I can't remember anything about him. Weird career for Jock Peterson. You guys have any um, honorable mentions? I got. Uh, I had Stan uh, Willie Mo Pena, just a big old dude. Willie Mo Pena was actually on my board. 
Yeah, I, I was very close. <laughs> Willie Mopane is a great name. He was the it's second person. Name. He was the second person I wrote down. We'll say that. The second person you wrote down was Willie Mopane. I swear to God. <laughs> Behind I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He was the second he person. He was my down. first non traditional name that came to my brain. Yeah. And again, he I was don't know right why. there for me, too. Willie Mopane. Don't. I don't know why. I have no idea. We should get Willie Mopane on the podcast. This is a Willie sure. Mopane podcast now. Yeah. Um, I had Trey, obviously, have to. Um, you took Prince. Uh, Frank Thomas, just again, a big old, probably not roided up guy in the 90s, bashing bombs. Uh, Mo Vaughn, again, another uh, another just huge guy who could hit balls very far. Um, Brady Anderson, mm-hmm. that was always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Big Cat, Andres Galarraga. That guy, the home run he hit in Miami, that like almost left the entire the 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 Dolphin Stadium is like top three favorite home run of all time. Willie Mo Pena never hit more than twenty six home runs in a season. Yeah, but and he only long, hit, his he average, only hit twenty plus was, once. Yeah, but his average distance was probably like eighty nine. <laughs> Willie Mo Pena. Anything? Anything for you, Banks? Uh, I mean, Pete Alonso probably deserves deserve to get picked. He's back to back champion. It's big time dingers. Um, yep, agreed. Juan, Juan Gonzalez probably deserves a little more mention. Like he hit a home run that we would be talking about otherwise if it wasn't for Griffey. He hit one off the, the upper deck facing as far into the left center gap as you can get. It hit off the advertisement that is at the last section over there. I mean, it's an absolute mm-hmm. bomb. Um. Like, there's some uh, Garrett Anderson won a won a home run derby. People forget Jim, that. Jim Tomey, I feel like, could always put on a show. Oh, let's go! Get get the get the uh, get it ready. Is it done? Are we uh, got we one got more. Two, we got two outs. Jorge's fucking feeling himself right now. Oh my god! I mean, this Patrick is awesome. Has has no. I'm so far behind on the stream. What should this no? Is this a no caption tweet? It might be. Yeah, I think you do. I think you just yeah, send it out. Yeah, just send it out. I'm gonna tell I like that RDT's gonna not directly, like RDT's but like in the you know what I'm talking about the tag where it's not it's not mentioned, but it's a tag. I don't know what you're asking me. I'm gonna hit Mr. Ripkin on that. Oh yeah, yeah, tag him in the photo. Yes, 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 yes. Is that going out from your personal or are you gonna give it to our social intern? It's going to the next social. Well, RDT, what do you are you gonna throw the gif out? Are you getting all your social ready right now? I, a, I'm, I'm lining it all. What a live up. moment I'm, this I'm, is that everyone's gonna be able to hear later. I might have to put this video out when we when this happens. Of us oh, reacting. I'm going, I'm going up. Oh, there it is. Send it out. Send it out. Oh, the Orioles are 500. What a moment. What a moment. Oh, oh RDT. Uh, I'm so happy. I wish that we had the uh, the Johnny Holiday like the kids have done it. The kids have done it. The O's have done it. <laughs> that would be great. Jorge Lopez fires it up to the Wrigley Field roof, <laughs> and the O's have done it. <laughs> Unbelievable! Live on the show. Adley you heard Rush it here first. Heard it first reported on. Yeah, on first X-52. reported by Exit Fifty Two. Wow. Five hundred. RDT, do you have anything to say? about this like what, what how do you sum this up just a lot of people to thank uh ramon Arias for hitting that home run jorge mateo 
Jordan Lyles certified dog. Um, just go out there, get a sweep. If I get to celebrate with Cal tomorrow when they win 10 in a row to go above 500, I like, I will be openly weeping in, in the, the top <laughs> bar, of Jimmy seafood. They did like that is, that is a promise. That is a promise. I need somebody at Jimmy seafood tomorrow to get that on camera. If that does in fact happen. What a moment. Oh, there, there will be cameras. There will be everything. Banks in the X movie two shirt. Love this team. Love this team. What a team. What a team. Congrats to the Orioles. Congrats to all the Orioles fans. Congrats to RDT. Ah, oh, amazing. I don't even know how to get to the Nick Kenner Medley Maryland person of the week at this point. You want to know who mine is? The Baltimore Orioles. It's just the Orioles. It's just, yeah. this is, and, and this is funny too, because I was talking to, when I was talking to Jake last night about it, I was like, for all the time, all the podcasts we've done, it's, and again, rightfully so, it's always, it's very Ravens heavy and it should be because of their successes. I feel like Kevin Malone, where it's like, you know what? It's just nice to win one. Like, I, and I also said, I like having everyone behind me as opposed to usually when I have, uh, when I'm, doing something in sports is going well for me. It's a team that everyone in this fucking state hates. So it, again, it's just nice to have one. It's a good time. And again, be back. yeah. Welcome back everyone. Again, I mean, 44 or 44. How nice is that? Your you know, what's even it. better. You know, it's even better. You know, it's going to be even better. 45 and then mm. eventually 47. What's 162 minus 44. Uh, yeah, I'm not good at math. Was that 120? I don't know. It's 118. 118. There you, you made me think of SpongeBob there. You know, it's better than 24, 25. You know, it's better than 44, 45. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to give my Nick Camerley Maryland personally to Xander Shoffley, but I don't even know if it's appropriate right now. <laughs> Go for it, man. He won two Sanders, the week. three starts in a row. The J.P. McMahon has had a hell of a field. Give him another win for that one. Going into the open, all kinds of hot. The door is open for Xander. Finally, my guy, the X-Man, the guy that couldn't win any real event, despite the fact the Olympics is a freaking Olympics, and team events mean something, and the Ryder Cup means something. Xander is hot, hot, hot. Scottish Open, travelers. Heading into St. Andrews. A lot of talk. If the Orioles stunk, we would have probably done a full British Open, or excuse me, the Open a preview of the Open Championship. God forbid I call it the wrong thing. Um, can't wait. Very excited for that this week. Very excited. The home of golf. That's my pick. Yes. I'm taking I'm giving it to the home of golf. 150th Open. Tiger's back. He's playing. He's walking. He's hitting bumping runs. He's hitting stingers. He's, you know, doing his thing. Two under and four holes on the the – Celebration of champions, had a couple darts in there. So things are looking good for for Tiger, and things are looking good for the game of golf here. Despite all this live golf stuff, there's 24 live guys. They're all probably going to do terrible out there this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm rolling with Jordan Spieth as my pick. I think he's a magician when it comes to, well, all golf, but especially link-style golf. He likes to roll. He likes to play it on the ground. He's good with the putter. He Came up a shot short here last time it was played in St. Andrews in 2015, and he came in second last year and um, is obviously a champion golfer of the year in the past as it is. So he's the pick. That's Orioles we, fan Jordan Spieth, by the way. Yep, yep. 
Yep. Would be tremendous to see Jordan win it. Love me some Jordan. That mm-hmm. guy is just good. For, and his statement about the, the live rumors, just putting people in their absolute place. That's how you do mm-hmm. it. Great pairing with Tiger, Fitzpatrick, and Homa. So, yeah, it's a very good pairing. The Homa stuff. If The Homa stuff is great. The fact that Homie's even been on the show is just bizarre because he has nothing to do with anything this podcast is about. And that just shows <laughs> you what kind of guy he is. And he has just the stuff that the fact that he gets to with Tiger after all of these talks about with Tiger and then winning Tiger's tournament. Like, good for that guy. Like, one of the good guys. One of the clear good guys in sports, Max Homa. Yeah, it's just cool as hell that he shot his shot the way he did, you know, nine years ago when he won a national championship. And now he's he's actually getting to play with them at St. Andrews in the Open Championship. It's just surreal stuff. Surreal. Whew. What a podcast. I, I, there's no need to go through honorable mentions for this unless you guys really have anything. This is all about the Baltimore Orioles. What an amazing week. You know, there it is. The tweet is out. When we started this show, obviously, we've made this super revolved around the Ravens, right? Because they have been the hot team in town. The NFL runs the world. But I was always excited for the moment where, like, the Orioles became a very relevant part of the show from a winning perspective and not, like, a talking about the rebuild, talking about whether the organization was going to move or not, talking about the ownership, talking about the stadium improvements, talking about the minor league system, talking to prospects. It was nice to have a show like this that it that was about the Orioles. RDT, I think you you texted on like Saturday or Friday or something. Like, I can't wait to do the podcast this week. I, I was like legitimately <laughs> like, I want to do the podcast now on like a Saturday night or Sunday. Like, I want to do it right now. And again, I said like, that's probably how you guys felt during football season, you know the good parts of the football season where you're like, I cannot wait to talk about this. And again, I mean, it's just, I, I, we've said it a billion times. It's just, it's very fun. It's, it's, it's just awesome. Again, everyone on Twitter right now is going nuts because of your Baltimore Orioles. So let's keep it going. It's amazing. It's amazing. With that, we end the Exit 52 podcast for this week. Thanks again to Paul Mancano of Masson for jumping on with us, talking draft, talking all things Orioles. Make sure to check out all of the social stuff those guys are executing on Masson Orioles and then the, uh, the Masson All Access podcast. Tremendous work from those people, and I uh, hope they're living it up tonight as well on all of their channels. I'm sure that they are as we are. Um, support all the Exit 52 supporters. The Thread Level Midnight shirt. Banks is wearing it right now. Exit 52. Go get your Exit 52 merch. Um, Jimmy Seafood, can't wait for RDT to get to experience his night with Cal. This may be really one of the great 10-day stretches of your Orioles fandom in a long, long time, my friend. Forget Orioles fandom. We're talking like top stretch of, of my life right now. Yeah. It's, well, and I was going to get into this, but the, the beach basketball Papa Shot incident, well, we can talk about that a little later. Listen, time. listen. <laughs> there are more rumors that I lost a second time. I have filed a petition with Zelkies to number one, get their machine fixed because there is something wonky going Damning on. Damning evidence that left from the machine a, from your sister Annie with the you, photo. You could not see my score. You did not know Damning what I had. Evidence. There's Damning just, evidence. You got you had there's zero proof. I have my sources everywhere. The glove don't have fit. You must have quit. I'm just saying. So maybe we'll talk about that on a later show. There's no need to bring that up. You're having a uh, you're having an absolute hot stretch. Can't wait for it to come crashing down.
No, no, no. It's going to continue on. Stop that. Uh, uh, Fed fed Thrill, get the sunglasses. X-52. Okay, some X-52 social stuff here. Obviously, Twitter and Instagram, X-52 podcast. Follow it. The Instagram kind of back up up and running here. We're we're putting more things on that. X-52 podcast now on TikTok at the same handle. Now on Facebook at the same handle. And we're going to try to do a better job uploading interviews and shows to YouTube. So make sure to follow all of those things for various X-52 content, along with the tremendous things that are being put out by Barstool Banks and at E-D-I-T-T-I-22, E-D-T-E-R-D-T. I wish we might have to get your handle back to, can we, what was your handle previously? I can't even remember now. We'll have to like mute it out. Just add Barstool RDT. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get that back for you somehow. I think that's a goner. Mm. Think it's a goner. I'm gonna see if I can. I'm not promise anything. I'm gonna see oh, what we can do about that. Oh, hey, real uh, quick too. Mike Trout has left the game with back spasms. Oh no! Have a night, Taylor. Oh, no. Have a night. <laughs> we have the show's not over yet, so I can say something. Oof. <laughs> one more. One more thing. The Orioles I mean, need to go. It's Mike Trout. The Orioles need to go nine and sixty-five in their remaining games to eclipse last year's win total. I mean, that's <laughs> unbelievable. I will say I'm obsessed with the. It has taken the Orioles blank games to do this, in which they did last year in blank games. I love those stats. I, you, I can't did. You put that them. stat out. Who put that stat out? No, someone. Someone. Tomas Ricardos. I might have to put that out on ours. It's a very funny. It's a, what I mean, is it? It's a great. No, no. Where's I don't want to. I don't want to steal from Tomas. I might have to retweet him on our account because that's such a good stat. Yeah, it's a, like that's a legitimately like laugh out loud funny stat. Um, wow, what a night! What an end of the show. Follow us on over those social media channels that I mentioned. We're gonna be cranking up the content, and um, we'll see you next time when the X Fifty Two podcast presented by Jimmy's Seafood.